And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's part two of the Jack Benny program with guest Ellen Young from 1950. Then, Dane Clark stars in a detective adventure of crime and Peter Chambers from 1954. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Hey, what's happening in Hollywood? Well, we have season 14 of the Emmy Award winning reality competition series. Uh, American Idol? The Voice. Oh, The Voice. Okay. <laughs> you don't watch that. No, You're I don't. You're the watch only that person much. everybody right. else does. Well, <laughs> You're the only I'm one. I'm odd. You are odd. It just premiered February 26th on NBC. We have a new judge. It's the first season for Kelly Clarkson. Oh, okay. So she'll be joining Adam Levine, Blake mm-hmm. Shelton, and Alicia Keys. She will be taking the place of... Mm, oh, I think I know. Um, The blonde, the really pretty blonde girl. She was married to... Miley Cyrus. Oh, Miley Cyrus. So close, though. Yeah. (laughs) So close. So there are a few changes this season. One of them, of course, that we've got superstar Kelly Clarkson, who is amazing. Number two, there's a new button called the block button. If one The what button? Block. Block. Okay. B-L-O-C-K. I can block you. So if the one judge turns around. I wish I could do that here on Hollywood. Just block you. You can. You You can turn off my mic any old time you want to. That's right. And you do. Don't forget. Do you know how to do do that, Carl? Yes. Don't forget I Oh, he can, he can and he will. Um, so it prevents another coach from turning around. You can use it once. So yeah. you turn around. You're the first one. You can block him. Anybody else from turning around. And the third new thing for this season <laughs> is a save button, uh-huh. which allows a coach to save one artist that they eliminated during yeah. the knockout round. It's a great show. If you like this kind of reality competition show, you will love The Voice. Well, all right. Well, maybe I'll give it a try. All right. And Kelly and Clarkson not. is a superstar. Yeah, she's great. She is. All right. Well, Thanks, Lisa Wolf. Well, last time we began listening to Jack Benny, the greatest comedian of the golden age of radio. From September 10th, 1950, his special guest is Alan Young. Here's the conclusion to the Jack Benny program. Now, come on, kids. We better get down to the studio. Where's Phil? Well, he's down at CBS already rehearsing the band. Come on, let's go. You know, kids, it'll be nice getting back to the old... Get off the lawn, you've had enough. (laughs) And and have your tooth fixed. (laughs) Come on, Mary, I'll drive down with you. See you at the studio, fellas. 
Well, Mary, here we are, Studio B, same old place. Gee, it's good to be back. Yeah, there's always something exciting about starting a new season. Uh, gosh, when I think of all the great programs we've done from this studio. Come on, let's go in. Ah, gee, the old place, sure. Hey, you, bud, watch where you're going. Who, me? Yeah, you're standing right in the range of the camera. Camera? Uh, 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 watch out, clumsy. Don't knock over those lights. Lights? What's going on here? Well, can't you see? We're in the middle of a television program. Television? But I'm supposed to do a radio show in this studio. What kind of show? <laughs> radio. Radio? You think back, Joe, you can remember. <laughs> Jack. Uh, maybe we made a mistake. How can we make a mistake? This is Studio B. And for heaven's sakes, mister, get out of the way. We're televising a program. But I can't understand Don't how... Don't you see the red light on the camera? What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for it to turn green. <laughs> anyway, I won't leave. This is my studio. I'm Jack Benny. Jack who? Benny. You think back, Joe. You can remember. <laughs> Joe, he looks like Deborah. <laughs> Look, fellas, there must be... <laughs> fellas, there must be some mistake. We always do our radio show from here. Oh, I don't know anything about that. This is a television studio now, and it... Hey, wait a minute. There was some guy named Harris here before. We sent him over to Studio F. Well, why didn't you say so in the first place? Come on, Mary. Hmm. Got a lot of nerve changing my studio. The least that CBS could have done was to discuss this change with me. Jack, you were in Europe all summer. Well, they could have talked to my writer. They were in Honolulu. Well, then they could have talked to my agent. He was in Alcatraz. <laughs> oh, yes, what a coincidence. We all took boat trips this summer. <laughs> well, here's Studio F. Let's go in. All right, fellas, now let's try it once more. A one, a two, a... Phil! Oh, hiya, Jackson. Hello, Livy. Hello, Phil. How are things going? Oh, fine, Liv. We're still rehearsing the opening number. I'll be with you in just a minute. Take oh. a seat, Clyde. Okay, Come Phil. <laughs> we'll wait. All right, fellas, now let's go. One, two, three, four, a root, two, 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 hit it! Jackson? You're playing Guy Lombardo's theme song. He was our summer replacement. Well, why didn't he take his music off the stand? <laughs> I'm glad he didn't. He may be with us next week. <laughs> Say, Phil, have you got the same musicians this year? Yeah, Bagby, Remley, Kimmick, Sammy, same old gang. Where's Fletcher, the trombone player? Oh, Fletcher, he'll be a little late. His wife's going to have her tenth baby, so they put her in the clink. <laughs> put her in the clink? Uh, Phil, why would they do that? I don't know, but it said so right on the door. C-L-I-N-I-C. That's clinic. 
clink. What's the difference? She can't get out. <laughs> all right, all right. Now, look, Phil, instead of rehearsing Guy Lombardo's theme song, why don't oh, you... hello, do... Phil. Hiya, Phil. Well, Donna Dennis, it's glad to see you. You guys are a sight for pink eyes. <laughs> he admits it yet. Say, Phil, Mary was telling me what a big hit you were at the Palladium in London. Oh, Mary, oh, bless your heart, Liv, you pretty thing. <laughs> hey, Donzie, you would have been so proud of me. To quote the words of one of England's foremost critics, he wrote, When Phil Harris walked out to the center of the stage, the vociferous ovation was not only tumultuous, but it finally reached a crescendo bordering on pandemonium. <laughs> that he could read, but clinic is clinic. <laughs> Wait a minute, Jack. You must admit that Phil was a big hit. All right, all right. So Phil was a hit. What about me? I heard you were a big flop. You... <laughs> you know, for a kid... Okay, who doesn't... folks, clear the stage. We've got to set the cameras up. Hey, Mac, put the lights on both sides. Now, wait a minute. Don't argue, chum. We've got to do a television show here in half an hour. But I thought oh, this come, was... come on, Jack. We'll find another studio. Okay, let's go. See, Mary, I don't know what... That... I know that television is important, but if CBS think they can push me around, they've got another thing coming. I'm going to take this up with my agent next visiting day. <laughs> this is awful. Jack, Jack, look. That studio across the hall has a sign on the door that says, Lucky Strike. Oh, yeah, that must be ours. Let's go in. Hey, Mary. Look at the way those... Quiet, please. We're doing a commercial for television. A commercial? Jack, wasn't that wonderful? Certainly was, Mary. It's amazing the strides that television is making these past... Uh, Jack, what's that on your hands? Huh? Oh, darn it, it's paint. I'm about to touch a piece of scenery. Excuse me a minute. I'll go wash it off. Oh, no. A camera in here. <laughs> I guess they're just storing it in here temporarily. <laughs> Where's some soap? There, that's better. Mary! I'm over here at Studio G. It's the only one we haven't gone in yet. Okay, let's try it. Try anything. All right, if that camera and lights us up, let's rehearse that scene again, huh? Look, Jack, it's Alan Young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alan. Alan Young, what are you doing here? I'm rehearsing my television show. Oh. Say, Alan, how do you like being in television? Oh, it's wonderful, Mary. It's so exciting. And, Jack, I think you ought to get into it, too. Well, I am scheduled to do a few shows this year, but, Alan, don't you think that television is pretty tough on radio actors? Well, television is hard work, Jack, and there's no question it isn't going to be easy on the older radio stars. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that, that shouldn't worry a man like you. You're in your late 30s, aren't you? It's later than you think. 
Yes. Uh, next year, you see, I'll be 40 again. I mean, 40. <laughs> but, Alan, how do you think I'll photograph on television? Oh, Jack, you don't need to worry about that at all. They got wonderful makeup men, see? They can remove wrinkles from your face. They can broaden your eyebrows. They can take away your double chin. Well, gosh, they can, they can do anything. Well, how do you think my hair will photograph? I don't know. Let's throw it in front of the camera and see. <laughs> oh, no, you're not going to throw this one. Don't worry. It always lands on its feet. <laughs> Mary, please. Uh, all right, Mr. Young, we're ready to start the rehearsal. Uh, well, excuse me now, I have to go. Well, certainly. certainly. Goodbye, Alan. So long, Alan. Oh, by the way, Alan, one more thing I'd like to ask you. I don't want to get personal, but how did you get into television? Well, I went in to wash my hands, and there I was. <laughs> Well, goodbye. Bye. Uh, Jack, it's almost time for our broadcast. Oh, Jack, Jack. Well, here comes Don. Maybe Jack, he where are we going to go? Every studio I've looked into has been converted to television. Where are we going to do our broadcast of our show? Well, I'll find out right now. I'm going upstairs and see Mr. Megan. He's the head man at CBS on the West Coast. Come on, Mary. I'm tired of being pushed around. Trouble every year. If it isn't my cast, it's my writers. If it isn't my writers, it's my agent. If it isn't my agent, it's his parole board. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna get a studio to broadcast from if I have to. Oh, here's Mr. Megan's office. Pardon me, I'm looking for Mr. Megan. Uh, I'm Mr. Megan. Well, I'm Jack Benny. Oh, yes, on the radio. Mary, he remembered! <laughs> Oh, of course I do. Now, what can I do for you, Jack? Plenty. I came down here this afternoon with my entire cast to do my first show of the season, and what do I find? Every single studio in the building is occupied. Now, tell me, where am I going to do my radio program? Oh, yes, uh, your radio program. Yeah. Oh, we've got to find you a studio. I, I think I know where I can get you one. Uh, excuse me. Hello, NBC? <laughs> what? What's going on here? Now, look, Mr. Megan, why is it every year when I start a new season, I run into trouble? For 19 years, I've been on radio. 19 years. And a little thing like television comes in and disrupts everything. Why just once in 19 years? Can I open a... Good night, everybody. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's the Jack Benny program from September 10th, 1950, with Jack and all his gang. Special guest, Alan Young, sponsored by Lucky Strike, although the Lucky Strike commercials were deleted, as heard on CBS. When we come back from the break, it's Crime and Peter Chambers from 1954. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360 uh, across about 180 radio stations coast to coast. And if you want to listen to our podcast, because maybe you missed uh, a portion of the show, maybe you fell asleep. Right. It could happen. It happens every time I mean, you, you, you know every what? time you talk, I just sort of fall over and nod off. Right. You, Lisa will. Uh, <laughs> Lisa can attest to that, right? I can put people to sleep. Yes, you can. Right? So if you missed any of the show, you can always listen to our podcast. It's there front and center right on our website. Just go to Hollywood 360 
radio.com and just click play and you'll be able to hear our podcast. All right, it's time now for Crime and Peter Chambers. This is the first time we've aired this show too, Lisa. Yeah, so of, two uh, uh, newly, firsts. Are these newly acquired shows yes, for you? Yes, newly acquired shows. Got to keep so up. This was a detective series. It came to radio for one season in 1954. It starred Dane Clark, and he was a New York-based detective who worked alongside the police. Now, Bill Zuckert was Clark's best friend, Lieutenant Lewis Parker. And it had top New York supporting players, Roger DeCoven, Leon Janney, Leslie Woods, and Lawson Zerby. Fred Collins did the announcing on this show. All right, it's time now for part one of Crime and Peter Chambers. Let's go back to a broadcast date of June 22, 1954. This is called the Paul Maxwell Murder Case. It stars Dane Clark here as Crime and Peter Chambers. Crime and Peter Chambers, created by Henry Kane, transcribed and starring Dane Clark. Private investigator, duly licensed and duly sworn, Peter Chambers. You're a private eye. That's your business. Anything else? That's for laughs. It's mid-afternoon, and you're in a nightclub on business. There's nothing more ghastly than a nightclub in the daytime. Reminds you of the whitewash inside of an unfinished coffin. Anyway, this one's called a Cafe Tropical, and in the nighttime, when its tinsel isn't showing, it's considered quite swanky. Uh, Mr. Chambers? Yes? I'm Bruce Eldridge. I'm delighted that you could come. Bruce Eldridge, prospective client. He's one of the owners of the Cafe Tropical, about 35, well-dressed, and quite good-looking. And quite composed, except his eyes are nervous. I take it uh, that you know what happened here last night? Well, your partner, Paul Maxwell, he caught up with a slight case of lead poisoning. He was shot to death right here in the club. Mm, So I've read in the newspapers. Observe the architecture of our little nightclub here. Mm. Now, there's this narrow little room where the bar is. Yeah. And off there, there, there's the archway which leads into the club proper. That's where we have our entertainment. And, uh... This stairway right here? Now, that leads upstairs where Mr. and Mrs. Maxwell have their apartment. Oh, the guy that was killed? Yes. He and his wife, Claire. This was, well, sort of their town apartment. Very cozy. Last night, our entertainment was in full blast. Paul, this Paul Maxwell, was seated out here at the bar alone. He was shot and killed. Mm. He slumps over. Nobody's the wiser. Tobias, the bartender, thinks Paul has grabbed a little catnap. And it's definitely established by the police that he was shot from the main room, through the archway. And what about the gun? Well, sir, one of our patrons, the distinguished book critic, Mr. Charles Morris, held something strange in his tongue. Wait, wait, wait. Don't tell me that turned out to be the murder gun. Yes, yes, it did. In the rush of the crowd, the culprit probably slipped it into the first strange pocket he found, which turned out to be Mr. Morse's. And what did this uh, Charles Morse do? Well, he turned it over to the management... Which, in this case, was Mrs. Maxwell, uh, Claire Maxwell. The new widow. Hmm. Well, how many people in this management? There were three. Paul, myself, and Claire, equal partners. Claire also acted as hostess. So, what happened then? Well, Mr. Morse uh, waited for the police, told them the story, and that was that. The police, of course, uh, now have the gun. Okay, Miss Eldridge, where do you fit me into this? I... I have reason to believe that it was my gun. What? I owned a gun like that. I have a license for it. Two days ago, it disappeared from my apartment. Now, Mr. Chambers, I want to retain you right now. 
to find out who stole that gun and who murdered Paul Maxwell. Well, don't you think the cops will attend to that? That's just what I'm afraid of. They'll attend to it. And they'll come up with me. Guns can be traced, can't they? Mm, I see what you mean. There's a $500 fee in it for you, sir. Mm. All right. Now, just where were you about the time Paul Maxwell was killed? Inside, in the main room. I was seated at a table with Claire Maxwell, Charles Morris, and Ruth Benson. Who's Ruth Benson? She sings here in between shows. What were you people doing at your table at the time? We were watching the show. New act, Calvin Cole, wizard on the Afro-Cuban drums, and a dancer, Menagia. Hmm. All right, now, explain to me how a guy can get shot from the main room to this bar here without anybody hearing the shot or seeing the flash. Well, Mr. Chambers, you see, there, there was a show. Good afternoon, Mr. Everett. Well, hello, Mr. Chambers. Uh, oh, you know our bartender, sir. You know Tobias? He knows a lot of bartenders. I used to serve him when I worked in PJs. That's the first portion of Crime and Peter Chambers. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to Crime and Peter Chambers. Toby Tobias, lank and thin with a shock of hair falling over his forehead. And the wise old ageless eyes that seem to be the trademark of bartenders born to be bartenders. Well, Toby, would you explain to Mr. Chambers how a shot can be fired and a man killed during our entertainment without anyone being the wiser? That'd be my pleasure, Mr. Eldridge. Uh, you know who we got here, don't you, Mr. Chambers? Yeah, Calvin Cole, they tell me, and his Afro-Cuban drums, and uh, Manaja. Yeah. Oh, now, here's how it works. The lights go out, you see, with a small spot on Calvin. Now, he wraps them drums like gunshots. Then this Manaja comes out in a wild veil dance, and they work the lights like flashes of lightning around us. So, a shot from a real gun... It gets covered by Calvin Cole's drumbeat gunshots and then flashes a lightning around this menager. Oh, I get it. Is uh, Mrs. Clara Maxwell upstairs? Uh, yeah, she is. Is it okay, Eldridge, if I go up and see her? I don't see why not. Well, thanks. It's the door at the head of the stairs. Yes, who is it? Mr. Eldridge said I could speak with you. May I come in? You may. She sits down, crosses her legs, and lights a cigarette. She's blonde, blue-eyed, on the sunny side of 40, and uh, she's got her points. She's also got a pretty quick temper, it seems. What is it, please? Uh, my name is Peter Chambers. I'm a private investigator, and I've been requested to look into the events of last night, so... Uh... Oh, you've been requested, huh? Yes, ma'am. Well, listen, you private eyes in books, private eyes in radio, fine, a lot of fun. When it comes to real life, I don't go for it. We got the police, and the police are working on this, and I'm cooperating with them fully. So do yourself a favor, young man. Get out of here. You do yourself a favor, and you get... You get all the way downtown to police headquarters, the office of Detective Lieutenant Louis Parker, cop, gentleman, and good friend. Hiya, Peter Piper. Afternoon, Lieutenant. Oh, oh I detect a real sweet note in your voice. <laughs> okay, what... Client is paying you how much for you to find out from us what he could have found out for himself. Huh? Uh, you know the usual cry of the private eye. It's confidential. <laughs> All right, young fellow. What are you working on? I'm working on that shooting last night at the Cafe Tropical. Did you uh, trace the murder gun yet? No, we're working on it. Real interesting case, Pete. Mm, how so? Know the details? 
I know he was shot from the main room all the way out to the bar while the drum guy was working and the dame with the lightning was dancing. Yeah. One bullet, one shot. It finished him. You know anything about trajectory, Pete? An angle of entrance? Hey, hey, hey. Them's fancy words. Uh, I got them from my science boys. Trajectory tells you about the flight of a bullet. Angle of entrance tells you from what direction the bullet came. My science boys measured it perfectly. It eliminated everybody in that main room except a group around one table. And what table was that? The one Bruce Eldridge was at. There's no question the bullet came from that room, from that table. No powder marks on the body. Distance estimated. Trajectory, angle of entrance, perfect. Everything. Well, all you had around that table were Bruce Eldridge, Claire Maxwell, Charles Morse, and Ruth Benson. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of those is eliminated. Which one? Ruth Benson. She left the room while Maxwell was still alive, went upstairs, powder room. Well, does she know that she's eliminated yet? No, no, Pete. I like to keep them all guessing, you know. Uh, Claire Maxwell, the wife, Charles Morse, a book critic, and Bruce Eldridge's partner. Well, it certainly narrows them down. To what? The wife? Why should she? She's married to a rich man. She's sitting pretty. The book critic? Why should he? If he were the murderer, would he plant the murder gun in his own pocket? The partner? Why should he? Paul Maxwell is the brains of Cafe Tropical, and the operation is making money. Mm. Well, how about prints on the gun? Yeah, smudges. Look, Louis, uh-huh. I'd like... Yeah, there's a request for a favor coming up. <sighs> well, two things. One, I'm going up to interview Ruth Benson. Can I uh, tell her that you've eliminated her as a suspect? Well, it'll make a real big Sherlock out of me, and it'll make for her cooperation. Yeah, well, you talked me into it, Pete. I have to break it to all of them sooner or later. What is the uh, second favor? Well, the addresses of the interested parties. Oh, it's an easy one for a change. So, armed with addresses and an affectionate pat on the back from Parker, you're riding your white horse again, and you're at Ruth Benson's neatly furnished apartment. I'd be glad to cooperate, Mr. Chambers. Please make yourself comfortable. A brunette with glistening black hair and glistening black eyes and more curves than the Indiana Raceway. You give her Parker's dope about her being eliminated as a suspect and you get what you want. Cooperation. Anything, Mr. Chambers. Anything at all. Well, uh, well. Well, first, uh, Bruce Eldridge. He used to own a gun once. That's a joke. I know about that gun. Would you break that down for me a little? Well, about two weeks ago, I was at his place. Bruce writes beautiful music, and I'm a singer, you know. And yeah, I understand. We were out on the terrace, and he brought out that gun of his, and by accident, went off. <laughs> and guess what? I give up. He fainted dead away. Guy's got a phobia. As a matter of fact, when Paul Maxwell found out I'd been at Bruce's apartment, he raised the roof. And what did he raise the roof about? Oh, well, Paul and I, we, um... Sort of had a thing going. And Paul and Bruce, uh, was this um, thing what they argued about? Mm Mm-hmm. But it's ridiculous. Bruce was perfectly innocent of any wrong intentions. Of course. Well, Miss Benson, thank you very kindly. Not at all, Mr. Chambers. Next stop, the book-lined retreat of Charles Morse in Greenwich Village. I uh, welcome this visitor. I've always been keenly interested in the myriad and varied operations of the private investigator. Charles Morse. Tall, slender, great-templed, and distinguished. 
He's sipping brandy from an oversized snifter glass. A drink, perhaps, Mr. Chamberlain? No, 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 thank you. Shall we get on, then? Uh, Mr. Morris, are you a uh, frequent customer at the Café Tropical? Frequent and uh, regular. An ardent patron, shall we say. Good. Man of your intelligence, it's a help. Hmm. How come you're so good a patron uh, of a saloon? Well, sir, it's difficult to put it into words, but I'll certainly try. That's real sporting of you, sir. (laughs) You... Perhaps chiding me, No, 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 I ain't doing a thing except fishnetting for facts. Hmm. Well, about my being a patron of saloons, let me see now. A good many of us, you see, in my profession, book critics, are frustrated writers, and I'll admit to being one of those. Our creative abilities just do not measure up to our desires. So, I'm a rather heavy drinker, and in consequence, an excellent customer of watering spots like Café Tropical. (laughs) Good enough, good enough. Hmm. Do you know anything of a scrap between Paul and Bruce Eldridge? No, no, I do not. All right, then, Mr. Morris. Uh, thanks for the use of the hall. Well, it was most stimulating, Mr. Chambers. I'm uh, at the cafe almost every night, you know, so if you have any further need of my assistance in any way at all, please uh, don't hesitate. So that night you're back at Cafe Tropical, and the joint is jumping like they're featuring a strip dancer and handing out binoculars for free. You're greeted by Bruce Eldridge. Evening, Mr. Chambers. Hey, wow. Oh, nothing like a murder to drum up business. Quite macabre tonight, aren't you, Mr. Chambers? Macabre. Everybody in this cast of characters makes with the big words. You, that Charlie Morris. You mind if I go in the bar and mix with a hoi polloi like Toby Tobias? Don't mind in the least, Mr. Chambers. Oh, hiya, Shamus. How's the Shamus business? Eh. How's with the bartending business? Uh, it stinks, too. But if I play my cards right, I'm getting out of it. Well, before we go any further in this colloquy, uh, point of order. Yeah? Scotch and soda. (laughs) Coming at you, Mr. Chambers. And now, what's with your imminent retirement? Uh, Listen hard, Mr. Chambers. Because either I make it, or you make it. Look, Tobias, it's a little late for riddles. This is a moment of relaxation for me. It's uh, about this here case you're working on. Oh, well, well. Talk it up, Tobias, my lad. Now, if I spill the dope I got, this whole case becomes a hanger for you. So spill. Now, I ain't spilling yet, but I got a hunch I know just what this thing is all about. Now, that kind of information is good for a little uh, payola from a certain party. Enough payola for me to retire. So tonight... I make me play. I'm off tonight at 11. And then I make me little old play. If your little old play backfires... Then I'm calling on you at home. On the phone. And with the info I got for you, you're going to turn out to be a big hero. How much are you asking for, Toby? 10,000 smackers. And the party's getting off cheap. Uh, Excuse me for now, Mr. Chambers. I got to go to work. And don't forget to be home come 11 o'clock. The crowd keeps pouring in like it's bargain day at Macy's, and the confusion mounts. And you like it, because right now you can use confusion. It gives you a chance to slip off your bar stool and slip up the stairs. The door to Claire Maxwell's room isn't locked. And inside you do a rapid search. And out of a dresser drawer, you come up with an interesting item. An expensive, heavy gold medal. On one side... There's an engraving of crossed pistols, and beneath that, the initials C.M. C.M. Claire Maxwell. The reverse side says Westchester Target Club competition, first prize, June 15th, 1953. 
You slip the medal in your pocket and you're ready for a further gander when... What's going on here? Clara Maxwell. Indignation in her eyes and much worse. An automatic in her hand. Big. Black. Deadly. Are you looking for something, Mr. Chambers? Nothing special, Mrs. Maxwell. Then get out of here quickly, please. I'm not finished yet, Mrs. You're Maxwell. You're finished or you will be. Look, I got a right to shoot. You're a trespasser here. Now, don't come a step nearer. I'll shoot. I'll, I'll... Oh. Oh. <laughs> now, I've got the gun, and you've got nothing but, uh, let's say, a guilty conscience. Because you meant to shoot. Get out! Get out! A little lesson first, Mrs. Maxwell. Right here, see? See? This is a safety catch. The gun don't go off unless the safety catch is unhooked. That's for next time. Now, for now, I take the clip out, throw your gun back to you like so, and I say, bye now. You go home, but you don't go to bed. You linger over a cup of coffee like a guy in a cafeteria killing time for a dime. Then at 11.15... Hello? Uh, Mr. Chambers. Yeah? Toby. Toby, now look, the party give me a bellyache, so now I give the party a bellyache. Where are you at, the Tropical? No, no. I'm in a little broken down saloon on 3rd Avenue and 56th. I want you to meet me here right away. Oh, what happened to your retirement plans, Toby? I ain't gonna retire, but the party is. The party is gonna retire for good. But... Now, come on down here, Mr. Chambers, and listen to Toby make like a canary. The name of this joint... Hello. Toby. Toby! You get to 56th and 3rd fast, but not fast enough because the cops are there already. And the boss man is Louis Parker. You set him up on the facts. And it's directly connected with the other thing, right? I couldn't be right, Louis. Any idea who that certain party was? No idea at all. Any witnesses shooting? No, nothing. Now look, Pete, it's late. No use you knocking yourself out on this one. Go home, go to sleep. We'll be in touch. I think you're right, Louis. Oh, uh... By the way, you traced that gun yet? Gun? What gun? You know, the gun in the other shooting, the uh, Paul Maxwell deal. What's with guns? What's your interest? Nothing, nothing. Just asking. Look, stop bothering me with guns now. I, I got work to do. Good night, detective. So you're still at sea about Bruce Eldridge's gun. And that, after all, is your real interest. That's what you're going to be paid $500 for. Anyway, you go to sleep, sleep like a log. And the next afternoon, you're at the Westchester Target Club, asking questions and getting answers. You're back in Manhattan now and ready for the wrap-up. You put in a call to Parker, and comes nighttime, you're a saloon-goer again. Cafe Tropical. Any uh, news for me, Mr. Chambers? Mr. Eldridge, could we uh, talk somewhere alone? Sure, come on upstairs. Charlie Morse show up yet? Expect him practically any moment. Do you want to talk to him, too? Don't mind if I do. All right, I'll leave word down here for him. All right, then, Mr. Chambers. Mr. Eldridge, why didn't you tell me there was bad blood between you and Mr. Maxwell? Well, I wouldn't. Over Ruth Benson. Well, because I don't believe in washing dirty linen in public. Now, look, Mr. Chambers, I didn't kill Paul Maxwell. 
Well, I was told you people wanted to speak with Mr. me. Mr. Chambers, I said I didn't kill Paul Maxwell. I know that. I'm not accusing you. But I am, I... however, accusing him. What? Charles Morris? I'm accusing him of the murder of Paul Maxwell and Toby Tobias. Have you gone out of your mind, Chambers? Now listen, my dear cultured book critic. You see this medal? See it? Which I found in Mrs. Maxwell's room? Well, that set me on the right track. Your middle, middle? The initials on it are CM. I thought it was Claire Maxwell. But this afternoon, I learned at the Westchester Target Club that CM was for Charles Morse. And on the strength of that, you're accusing me. Only one of three people could have killed Paul Maxwell. Yes, that's right. The police have already informed us of that. Bruce Eldridge, no soap, a gun phobia. Claire Maxwell, no soap, because she pulled a gun on me yesterday. And she didn't even know how to flip the safety catch. Plus, our murderer had to be a crack shot. He killed Paul with one bullet. That, my good friend, leaves that us... That is all, Mr. Chambers. My compliments. Notice, please, I'm holding a gun. And as you know now, it's in the most competent of hands. Mm. And as long as you've got the drop on us, friend, you may as well complete the story just to satisfy our curiosity. No, but I will finish it to exonerate Claire Maxwell. She had nothing to do with Paul's murder. She had your medal, pal, and a rather expensive one. I loved her, and she loved me. We asked Paul, we begged Paul for a divorce, but he wouldn't accede, so I figured out the next best way. I went to Baez with the big eyes, added two and two together, and tried blackmail. I was then compelled to dispose of Tobias, too. Hmm. And now, what kind of chance do you think you have now? I don't know, but I'll find out. I intend to make a run for it. So, I back to the door, and remember, gentlemen... Okay, Charlie, drop the gun! Charles Morse may have won a medal... But Parker has won many medals. Anyway, in the exchange of gunfire, Morse winds up with a leaking shoulder, and Parker winds up with a wide smile. And the next day, seated in your office, you thank Louis Parker for his nick of time heroics, and you're back to your favorite subject. Louis, just for kicks, was that original gun traced yet? No, and I got it right here. My bet is he bought it in the hot shop. Yeah, you see, every possible mark of identification has been filed off. Nobody can actually trace them. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Some people have an intuitive sense. Some people can tell just by looking at things. Oh, meaning you. Huh? That's precisely what I mean, Lieutenant. <laughs> Look, Detective, if you can tell me where this gun came from, I'll donate $500 to the Damon Runyon Fund. Fair enough. But if you don't, you donate. That's a deal. Now, look, Louie, I got big fat news for you. I couldn't tell you before, but that gun happened Mr. Chambers. Mr. Chambers, I found my gun. You what? Yes, it had fallen behind some books in the shelf, you... and my maid in cleaning Hey, what's this all about? Yeah, but nevertheless, Mr. Chambers, I owe you $500, and I want to write my check for it this very moment. Yeah, yeah, you write your check and make it out to the Damon Runyon Fund. Oh? Give it to the lieutenant here. Well, now, that's very charitable of you, Mr. Chambers. Very charitable indeed. And there you've had crime and Peter Chambers. Dane Clark was starred as Peter Chambers. Crime and Peter Chambers was created and written by Henry Kane. Others in the cast were Bill Zuckert, heard as Lieutenant Parker, and Petoniak as Claire... Ed Peck as Charles and Nelson Olmstead as Bruce. It was directed by Fred Way. This is Fred Collins inviting you to tune in next week, same time, same station, for Dane Clark in Crime and Peter Chambers.
preceding was transcribed. Visit with Fibba McGee and Molly tonight on the NBC Radio Network. And that's Crime and Peter Chambers from June 22, 1954, with the Paul Maxwell murder case starring Dane Clark. It's heard on NBC. Let's take a break. Then it's more of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here for Remind Magazine, America's monthly blast from the past. Each month, Remind Magazine focuses on a pop culture theme from the 1950s through the 1980s, covering a wide spectrum of topics from Marilyn Monroe to Marilyn Manson. In every 50-plus page issue of Remind Magazine, you'll find dozens of puzzles, movie posters, trivia contests, classic comics, crossword puzzles, vintage advertisements for products from days gone by, and much more. And every issue features my column, Radio 360 where I focus on a celebrity from Hollywood's golden age and write about his or her radio work. And next to my article is the monthly schedule of the classic radio shows I'll be playing each month so you'll never miss your favorites. Remind Magazine is available at Barnes & Noble and Walmart stores throughout the country. But because I write for this magazine, I'll let you in on a little secret. You can get Remind Magazine for about 60% less than the newsstand price by ordering it online at RemindMagazine.com. Visit RemindMagazine.com and subscribe today. Hi, this is Carl Amari. These classic radio shows are direct from master recordings and digitally remastered. We license these classic radio shows from the owners and estates for the privilege of using their master recordings as our source material so that we can pass that great sound quality onto you. Oh, you can find classic radio shows sold on the Internet from companies that are not authorized to sell them, but you'll often be disappointed by the inferior sound quality. If you enjoy listening to and collecting great sound quality classic radio shows, we've set up a website just for you at ClassicRadioStore.com so you can enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to download your favorites to your smartphone, computer, or any listening device. We offer thousands of digitally remastered classic radio shows, uncut and unedited, including the original commercials, delivered to you instantly via digital download. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, Ida Lupino stars in the Hallmark Playhouse. Then it's part one of Fibber, McGee, and Molly from 1947. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.